Our gracious Heavenly Father, what a blessing that we may come together this morning as your people. As the world goes about its business and does what the world does, and their thoughts of thanksgiving is of uh, feasting and perhaps overindulging in many things, and if they take a moment to give thanks, it is not to you, but maybe for the things that they have. And we thank you, Father, that by faith, a faith that you have given us, we assemble as your children this morning to lift our eyes to heaven, to confess that you are our help, our strength, our Savior, our God, our Shepherd, the one who provides for us body and soul each and every day. We thank you that you are faithful, that even though we may test your patience, either at times or perhaps every day, you do not deal with us as our sins deserve, but you hold fast to your promises, to your covenant with us, your commitment to us, and you bless us with the blessings of a father toward his children. You look at us in our weaknesses, in our shortcomings, our failures, our doubts, our mustard seed of faith, and you return blessings upon us. And for this we give you thanks. We give you thanks that these blessings come to us, certainly not because we have earned them or because we deserve them. Nothing in us but through your Son, Jesus Christ. You have given us, above and beyond, the greatest gift that we could ever ask or imagine. You gave your Son to walk in obedience as we never could throughout his earthly life. And finally, at the end, you gave him as, a, as, as an atoning sacrifice, a propitiation, for us. We thank you that he is our great high priest who took his precious blood, a blood more valuable than all the silver and gold, all the wealth of all the worlds. And he took that blood into the holy of holies in heaven, the heavenly place, and presented it on our behalf so that we may know that there has been a once for all sacrifice for us and through his perfect work, through a faith created in us by your Holy Spirit, whereby we have taken hold of him, we may know that we are your children, yesterday, today, and forever. Our sins are cast into the midst of the sea. You will remember them no more. You will never leave us nor forsake us. You will work all things together for our good. We thank you, Father, for these blessings that we may confess this morning and for every spiritual and physical blessings that we enjoy from your hand because of Christ. Father, this morning as we, as we, we take some time to, to reflect, perhaps something we ought to do every day, O oh Lord, but as the occasion affords us, we, we contemplate the great blessings that are ours from simply parents and, and grandparents and great-grandparents who love us, who provide for us by working hard, who pray for us, who teach us and exemplify godliness and correct us and teach us the way that we should go. 
so that as we grow older, we do not depart from it. We thank you for children, for each and every child here and in this congregation, from the youngest to the oldest. We thank you for their presence. We thank you that they are a gift from you, and you have entrusted them into our care to raise them up for you. We pray that you would continue to keep our children healthy and strong, and above all, strong in the Lord. We thank you for conceptions. And for those who are with child at the moment, for our young families, for our expecting mothers, thank you for blessings of the womb, which are covenant promises for sure. Thank you for safety for our wives through delivery and healthy children being born in this congregation by which you are adding, adding to our number from the inside. Thank you for numbers being added from the outside as we have visitors from week to week. We have um, those who uh, seek after uh, membership, those who... Uh, attend our our classes with the intention of, of learning more about the Christian faith and about the teachings of this church and our federation. And we pray that, and we thank you, Father, that your kingdom is growing and your kingdom is coming and it is being exhibited, displayed by the conversions that are happening here and in your churches in North America and all across the world. We thank you for the inroads that are being made in impossible situations among tribes and tongues and peoples, even into circles of religion where one would think it is impossible that people would ever turn away from what they have been taught to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, Father, we hear of it again and again, and we bless your name, and we thank you for the work that you are doing. We thank you, closer to home, Father, for the blessings of work. Thank you for the skills and the abilities that you give us, the direction. Some of us are amazed that the debts get paid every month, and yet you provide. And some of us may even take for granted the blessings that we have as far as work and, and financial well-being. For these, we Ask your forgiveness and help us to repent of these things and help us to never take your blessings for granted. Always to know that you are our help and our strength. You have blessed us with safety and we thank you for this. We have traveled the dangerous roads. These summer months we have traveled and vacationed. You have kept us safe from harm from violence and crime. You have kept us safe in our homes. And we thank you, Father. We recognize, we take this moment to, to recognize that these are blessings from your hand. They are covenant blessings. You have blessed us with health. You have kept us from serious disease and illness, life-threatening things. And for those in whose lives you have sent illness and medical concerns, Father, you have upheld them. You have provided in the way of medical treatment and care. You have blessed their spirits. You have given them comfort and peace in their hearts. 
Thank you for blessings to our elderly. As we know, Father, that they face different challenges. Challenges of the soundness of mind, sight, hearing, communication, even a sense of balance where our older members are more in danger of falls that could do more, much more damage than they can to someone younger. We thank you for their faith, for their presence among us, for their witness, and for the blessings of their pilgrimage and their participation here in this congregation. We thank you for the relationships that we have. We thank you for friends. We thank you for brothers and sisters in the Lord. We thank you that we may know without a doubt that when we are going through difficult times and and our fellow believers are aware of it, that they bring us to the Lord and they present us before your throne of grace. And for this we thank you. Thank you for the words of encouragement that we could give to each other. We thank you simply for food each and every day, for access to clean water, and for health through these things. We thank you for your blessings upon those among us who are in, in, uh, involved in, in agriculture in one way or another, and for farmers in general, because it is through them that you provide food for us. And we give you thanks this morning. We thank you for spiritual growth. We thank you for faithful preaching each and every Sunday. We thank you for our pastor and for Diane, for their work and their presence and their ministry among us. We pray for continued good health for both and spiritual blessings that Pastor Poles may continue to do his work here of proclaiming the good news of salvation from this pulpit each and every Sunday. We thank you for the work of our council and the consistory for their dedication and faithfulness. And we thank you for the wisdom that you give to them and the love and compassion. We pray that we may never fail to pray for those whom you have placed over us. Thank you for this land, a place of freedom. Thank you for the economical blessings that we may receive and the freedom of religion that we have. And we thank you, Father, for for all our loved ones that we may uh, gather together to celebrate Thanksgiving Day today around our tables. And again, O oh Lord, as we began, we thank you that you have blessed us with your presence and that you have known us and love us and you have become a father to us. Bless us now as we look at Psalm 144. And we are reminded again of why it is good to confess and why we may confess happy is the people whose God is the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 144 this morning, which will be our scripture reading and our text. We'll be looking at the whole thing, Psalm 144. So if you would turn there with me, we'll read this. And hear what the Lord has to say to us on this Thanksgiving morning. Psalm 144 is entitled a Psalm of David. And obviously, uh, David pens these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, my loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and the one in whom I take refuge 
who subdues my people under me. Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him, or the son of man that you are mindful of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Bow down your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains, and they shall smoke. Flash forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out your arrows and destroy them. Stretch out your hand from above. Rescue me and deliver me out of great waters, from the hand of foreigners whose mouth speaks lying words and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God. On a harp of ten strings I will sing praises to you. The one who gives salvation to kings, who delivers David his servant from the deadly sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners, whose mouth speaks lying words, and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. That our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as pillars sculptured in palace style, that our barns may be full, supplying all kinds of produce, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields, that our oxen may be well laden, that there be no breaking in or going out, that there be no outcry in our streets. Happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Beloved people of the living God, bought by the blood of Christ Jesus, our Savior, let's be honest, Thanksgiving Day is not a Christian holiday in the same vein, say, as Christmas Day, Ascension Day, uh, or Easter. Um, but at the same time, celebrating days of, of times of thanksgiving is a, is a biblical concept. The idea of, of taking a moment and assessing one's situation, counting one's blessings, looking forward to future blessings is very biblical. And, and Psalm 144 shows us this. And so as we, God's people, gather on this national day of thanksgiving to reflect and how blessed we are, how rich we are as God's children, we look to the Lord our God and we give Him thanks. Today we pause, we reflect on how gracious and compassionate our God has been to us. He is the one who has always taken care of us and, uh, and, and can always be trusted to take care of our future needs, whatever may come. Maybe as we sit here this morning, the last thing on our minds is thanksgiving. Maybe worries distract us about the future, about our financial situation, our job situation, the faith and lives of our children, our grandchildren, our marriages, our relationships, or lack thereof. Many worries plague us in this life. Life never goes on too long before we hit those bumps in the road, the tough Choices, the failures, the heartache, the disappointments. And yet we learn from Psalm 144 that in all things we may confess as God's people, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. We're taught in this psalm that we can give thanks even when the blackest clouds are looming. When all we can see is trouble on the horizon. When the weight of worldly worries seem to pin us down almost suffocate us, we may still confess happy is the people 
whose God is the Lord. Now, David uses a special word here in the Hebrew for happy. He uses a word that gives the idea that God's people are to be envied by those who do not know him. God's people are to be envied by those who do not know him. The sense is, uh, of the word is that all who really understand what we have, and truth of the matter is they really don't understand, but all who really understand what we have should desire to have it as well. And you see, when all is said and done, what causes God's people to stand out from the world is not the physical blessings that they have, but the relationship that they have with the true and living God. Our comfort in life and death, that's something to be envied. Our greatest asset, we confess, is not our material wealth, but the fact that we belong to the Lord. We've been bought by the precious blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And for this reason, if the world really understands this, in its eternal perspective, we are the envy of the world. Now, the psalm before us this morning was composed, as we said, by David, at a time, it seems, when the kingship or the monarchy was firmly established in his hands. He speaks in verse 2 of the Lord who subdues my people under me. Speaks of my people under him. And that's not to deny that many nations had been brought under subjection to David. The Lord had blessed him in the many wars that he had fought, giving his enemies into his hands time after time after time. From the very early days, the Hebrew women learned to sing. What of David? David has slain his tens of thousands, right? The Lord had given David victory after victory. But verse 2 doesn't uh, refer to the people outside, his enemies. It refers to Israel, God's people. Well, what is this talking about? Well, we know that the transition from Saul to David as king had not been exactly the smoothest. The descendants of Saul had objected and they had challenged David. And yet David had prevailed. He was God's anointed king. Later on, his own son, Absalom sought to steal the kingdom from David. And again, David prevailed. David had smote his enemies hip and thigh. None could boast that they had stood against David and won. And so in Psalm 144, he gives praise to God for that because he recognized that it was not in his own strength that he had survived and conquered. It was not his own skill and ability that caused him to master his enemies and all who rose up to challenge him. But it was the Lord God who had been at his side always. And so he calls God my rock. In the Old Testament, this word was used to confess God as immovable, unchanging, firm, sure, trustworthy, faithful. As a rock would be unmoved and cannot be moved, so it was Israel's God. And, and David recognized that God was his strength. It was God who had trained his hands for war and his fingers for battle. And that's important because we have to understand that David was not a natural-born warrior. You remember the story of David. When his father and his brothers looked at him, what did they see? They saw the makings of a good shepherd boy. His hands were trained from youth to hold a shepherd's crook, maybe to dispatch pebbles from his sling to drive away wild animals that attacked his father's flocks. David didn't receive training from youth in the, in the art of stringing a bow. 
wielding a sword, thrusting a spear. His fingers were trained on the harp and the ten-stringed lyre. He was, we might say, the artsy one of the family who composed songs about the greatness and the majesty of God as he gazed out at the night sky as he watched his father's flocks. But God had different plans for him. The kingship would be firmly established under him, the kingship of Israel. He would settle God's people in their land. He would subdue their enemies. And he would bring in times of peace and prosperity. And for this... God would train his hands for war and his fingers for battle. Well, we might wonder, well, what, what does that say to us today? How does that apply to us today? We, we, we don't, we're not facing fighting any wars, at least any physical wars. But we have families to feed. And we're not sure about the economy and how things will go tomorrow. We have bills to be paid. We have deadlines to meet. And we too may confess that God has blessed us with the ability to do what needs to be done. He is the one who gives us the abilities and the skills to perform our duties every day so that we can install and repair equipment. We can maintain machinery. We can drive a skid steer. And we can debug a computer. He trains our fingers to shingle a roof to frame a house, to dig a ditch, to cut here, to replace a drive belt. He gives our hands and our fingers skill to bake apple pies and change diapers and scrub a toilet and apply Vicks Vapor Rub like only a mother can. Is this not reason to be thankful today? In verse 2, David confesses God as his loving kindness. And the Hebrew word is chesed. The sense of that word is that God's love is unfailing. He is ever loyal, ever faithful. And this, beloved, is the God that we celebrate today, our God. How has he blessed our farmers in the season of har harvest? How has he provided for us in spite of us deserving nothing? He continues to open his hand and pour out his blessings to us. Blessings of food and clothes and shelter and health and strength every day. And so like David, we too may confess on this day of thanksgiving that God is our fortress, our high tower, our deliverer, our shield and refuge. In other words, God, the Lord God, our Heavenly Father through Christ is our guardian and our protector still today. Think about it. The freedoms we enjoy what freedoms? To provide a Christian education for our children. The freedoms that we enjoy to meet together for worship. The freedoms that we enjoy to propagate the Christian gospel. The freedom to sit under the preaching of the word. All of these are products of his constant preservation and provision. And what's so amazing, so marvelous, as David points out here, is that such insignificant creatures like you and I should receive the attention of the Almighty God. Now, you, you heard it in verse 3, echoes of Psalm 8. And we're reminded here again, David, as it were, presses this point, like, who are we really? Nobody. Man, David says, is like a breath. Our days are like a passing shadow. We're here today, gone tomorrow. There's nothing especially significant about us except the fact that we're made in the image of God, of course. 
in the gigantic scheme of, of history were really just tiny dots. And yet, the eternal, all-powerful, all-sustaining God desires to know us. You ever thought about that? What a wonderful thing to give thanks for. That the eternal God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords desires to know you and he knows you by name. He knows every hair on your head. He has regard for us. He wants an intimate relationship with us. And it's on the basis of God's goodness and love in the past as David recognizes these things. His faithfulness displayed in his saving mercies. David is now emboldened to make his request for future assistance. He says to God in verse 8, he pleads with God, Bow down your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains and they shall smoke. Flash forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out your arrows and destroy them. Stretch out your hand from above. Rescue me and deliver me out of great waters. From the hand of foreigners whose mouth speaks lying words. David draws on imagery from the history of God's dealings with his people. You, you may recognize some of this language. Some of it comes from Exodus 19, uh, when God gathered the people at Mount Sinai. And uh, we hear that uh, they were supposed to be ready for the third day, and God would come to meet them. And then in verse 16 to 18, we read, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. That's what David is referring to here. The smoke that uh, designated God's presence with his people. He says, touch the mountain and let it smoke. He's asking God for deliverance on the basis of his covenant relationship with his people which he established at Sinai. When he had appeared to his people at Mount Sinai and he had declared to them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And he did so with lightning and thunder and trumpet blowing and smoke and fire. We also have to mention the references to lightning and arrows and being rescued from mighty waters. All are drawn from battles in Israel's past. You may think particularly of the book of Joshua, when God used all of these elements to his advantage against the enemies of his people. And David understood that all the successes that Israel had seen in war had been because the Lord had delivered them. And so he confidently calls upon God to deliver them once again. He calls upon God for help from foreigners, literally in the Hebrew, sons of strangers. We're not really sure who that was at this point. They're not identified as such. What we do know is that David was no stranger to those who conspired against him, who were constantly conspiring against him. There were always those who were seeking to take his life or take him off the throne and steal his kingdom from him. 
David may have been established firmly as king of Israel, but trouble always loomed on the horizon, it seems. Dark clouds were constantly approaching his kingship. His enemies were always spreading false, meaningless rumors about him, seeking to turn the people against him. And in the meantime, they pretended to be his friends. And they pretended to be followers of his God. He mentions that their right hands are falsehood. That's interesting. The right hand, you see, was commonly raised to what heaven when someone swore an oath to God. They promised to do such and such as God is my witness, right? They raised their hand, their right hands to heaven. And yet they were doing so, lying as they did. David speaks in Psalm 144 of, of those who swore or pledged with their right hand, but they were hypocritical liars. And he calls upon the Lord to deal swiftly and harshly with those who broke faith with his anointed king. Again, what does that say to us today? Well, we're not to pray for necessarily the physical destruction of God's enemies, but we can certainly pray for their repentance. We can pray for the obstruction of the efforts of those who are the church's enemies and work viciously against the church's work today against the gospel. We can pray for uh, those who, uh, or pray against those who are, who work very hard to corrupt our youth and lead them astray. We can pray for the repentance and the obstruction of those who make a mockery of traditional marriage, who insist on a woman's right to choose so that she may do away with her unborn child. We may pray for those who suppress the truth today by their unrighteousness. But notice that the words are hardly out of David's mouth before he promises that he will sing a new song to God. He is absolutely confident that God will answer his request. No doubt lies in his heart. He's not double-minded, to use the language of James. And so he promises that when God gives victory to him, he says, I will sing a new song. A song written for the occasion, that is. One that hasn't been written or sung before. And this song will express the greatness and power of God who has delivered his servant from the deadly sword. But now listen to these words in the New Testament, specifically in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verses 1 to 4. Revelation 14, verses 1 to 4. John sees this vision. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song. Before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. See, in the context of our passage in Psalm 144, David promises to sing a new song in thankfulness to God for the victory that he would give him 
in his present situation. But then we get to the New Testament, and that reveals that David was really here, again, speaking as a prophet. We learn that there will be a greater fulfillment of this request. God will bring his victory, not only to the nation of Israel or to David, but to all his people. He would defeat the enemies of his son. His people whom he purchased with his precious blood would one day stand before him. And they would all sing a new song. The song of the redeemed in praise of their redeemer. The people of God would be delivered from the father of lies himself, Satan. And so really, David is speaking in Psalm 144 of the work and the victory of his greater son, the Lord Jesus. And he even foreshadows Christ in his interest for the well-being of God's people. He prays in verses 12 to 14 that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as pillars sculptured in palace style, that our barns may be full, supplying all kinds of produce, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in, fields, in our fields, that our oxen may be well laden, that there shall be no breaking in or going out, that there shall be no outcry in our streets. And David sees that deliverance from their enemies and God's preservation will lead to prosperity for his people. Physical blessings will result. When God answers and he rescues David from the hands of his enemies, Israel's sons will grow healthy and strong. From their youth, they will be sturdy, like olive shoots around a father's table. They use the language of Psalm 128. Strong and healthy sons meant that the future generations would be secure. Good stock breeds good stock. Hardship under foreign dominance, of course, would, would, would uh, result in, in physically weak sons, while freedom from their enemies would result in Israel producing sons like arrows in the hands of a warrior. And today, we may pray for this as well, too, that the Lord would bless us with sturdy and sound sons who are spiritually and intellectually strong, future office bearers. Missionaries, pastors, fathers and husbands in their homes. David prays for beautiful daughters. Recognizing that destruction of Israel's enemies meant that daughters of great beauty and form would be born to them. And David likens these daughters to the pillars that adorn a palace. And he prays for elegant, beautiful daughters, ladies who carried themselves with class and dignity like, like well-carved pillars. What do we pray for today? We pray for godly, for, 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 for daughters who exhibit godly beauty. Not merely outward beauty, but godly beauty, as defined in First Peter 3. That inner gentleness and godliness. Who will grow up to be faithful wives and mothers who are striving after their own spiritual growth and that of their families. And David prays for this, as, so as, as should we. But then he also looks forward to economical well-being for Israel as, as well. In times of peace, of course, their barns would be overflowing, their flocks grazing safely and freely on the rich grass of the Palestine uh, uh, countryside would increase by the tens of thousands. A stronger translation of the Hebrew in verse 14 is that Israel's cattle 
would be blessed in the womb and would not miscarry. And safety would prevail so that no cries or anguish or distress would be heard in the streets. And David praised this in the confidence of God's faithfulness in the past. He could look forward to his requests coming to fruition with eagerness because Israel was the people in whom God delighted the apple of his eye. In reflecting on all these blessings, David says, happy are the people who are in such a state. The people who enjoy prosperity in the womb, in the fields, and in the flock are truly blessed. But there's more. There must be that confession, that recognition of the source of these blessings. And so David adds, lest they misunderstood and we misunderstand, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. That's what makes God's people stand out and apart from the rest of the world. Our boast is not in our portfolio, our material wealth, not even our handsome sons and beautiful daughters, our well-stocked pantries, our growing businesses. That's not where our boast is. In fact, to be honest, comparatively speaking, many of those who, who don't know God have much more than us. But we're still happy, content, because the Lord is our God. We are in His hands and in His care. We experience blessings every day. We may not have everything we want, but we want for nothing. We have the comfort of knowing that we are His and that He will bless us as He knows best and that He will do all that is good for us and our salvation. And so we may may count indeed our blessings today, recognizing that these blessings come to us solely because we are the people of God. Even those among us who may be older, facing, you know, the challenges that come with aging, even those among us who may have been afflicted with, with serious illness or chronic illness, even those believers among us will tell us, no, no, God is good. God is good because he has provided for me. Not, not, not only in, in the way of medical care, but, but his presence and his peace that he gives me is immeasurable and incomparable. As a congregation, we have been blessed with strong families dedicated to Christian education. We are blessed with a faith to belong to a faithful church. And from its pulpit, we get faithful biblical preaching every Lord's Day. And we, you ever think about this? We can, we can come to church and we can enter this sanctuary knowing that we're not going to leave frustrated because somebody is doing something, uh, silly. No folly takes, takes place here. We, we enter into this place and we recognize together with our brothers and sisters that this is a place of reverence for God. We've been blessed with catechisms, uh, classes and church education classes bring, brimming over with eager youth. We're blessed with loving parents and faithful grandparents who pray for and work for the good of our children. Our pantries are overflowing. Our work and business opportunities are plentiful. We have godly fathers and husbands, wives and mothers. We have young adults who are desirous of marrying in the Lord. What a wonderful blessing. 
We have fellow Christians and friends who are concerned for our spiritual well-being. And so shall we not say, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. And congregation, let us remember that this confession is only ours because Jesus Christ has established peace between us and God. So that we today may be counted as God's Israel. The spiritual and physical blessings that are ours come through Christ. And for these blessings we give thanks today. Because in Christ we are the people of the living God. We are the church which he purchased with his own blood. We today are the apple of his eye, his beloved bride. And this covenant God, who has been faithful in the past, we can be confident that he will be just as faithful in the future. And we can be confident that near to him and under the shelter of his wings, the disasters, at least as we conceive of them, of our lives will turn into blessing. Our weeping will turn into rejoicing. The dark clouds that loom will break with showers of blessing upon our heads. Happy are the people of whom this is true. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Amen.